Geek Shock. Geek Shock. I am the Otter Father. The Otter Father. Can you eat otters? Well, technically, you can eat anything. So, you can eat beaver. My friend Jerry Thompson ate capybara and said it was the most delicious meat he ever had. So I suspect otter is pretty good, too. You know what? It's meat. If you prepare it right, it's going to be delicious. Just like Jeff. If you prepare Jeff right, he would be scrumptious. Nah. I don't have enough fat. I need to get some more. Bitter. (laughs) Get properly marbled. It's all bitter. Maybe a little gamey, but... uh... So I, ima- I imagine Jeff tastes like venison. <laughs> wow. Long pig. <laughs> Long pig. God. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 571. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Mason in the face K. <laughs> Fact checked Andy. Dr. Long Pig Blarg. Wow, you son of a bitch. That's right. <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> you say her name, not Maple Leaf Matt. You say her name, Maple Leaf Matt. and we're here to talk week and geek uh gentlemen uh not much happened this week it's been a very very quiet week here in the u.s (laughs) you don't say Uh, unless you pay attention to the goddamn insurrection that attempted to happen this week my god (laughs) (laughs) i bet matt's never been so proud to be a canadian oh yeah. At this uh, point, I'm me. proud to be a Canadian. I'm not. One of my Canadian friends was talking about a plan to just have all the Canadian, all the Canadian cool people slowly divorce their spouses and have the spouses pair up with somebody down here and you know marry, marry a couple down here and just keep bringing them in one by one that way. Wait, wait, wait. Is that is that bringing <laughs> Americans to Canada or is that bringing Canadians to America? I didn't quite follow. That's yeah, there's some help missing there. Editor for Andy. <laughs> this, ladies and gentlemen, is an example of the Andy Taylor thought stream. <laughs> uh, it's only getting worse. <laughs> it's, it's like Yoda, only unintelligible. Yeah. <laughs> Nor is wise, frankly. It's uh... <laughs> So, yes, we had a, a horrific insurrection here in the United States. Uh, thankfully, it was put down eventually, not before damage fucking done. I know some of you are out there like, oh, I don't want to hear this stuff. That's not why I tuned in. Uh, I get it. And fast forward if you don't want to hear it, because uh, it, frankly, it needs to be talked about. There's there's uh, there's enough people out there there. Now, let's let's be quiet and move on. And now it's the time for being quiet is passed. This this is. This is fucking insurrection. There's also no move on. They're planning stuff for the inauguration, and it's not over yet. So it's not like this is one and done and it's happened. There's still danger here. There I don't know about danger about losing the country, but there's danger of people getting hurt. Yes, yes absolutely. The FBI has put out a warning to all 50 states, all the capitals of the states, that they're... The, 
there's supposedly a coordinated attack coming up. Uh, the Right now, the date is the 17th. That's what's been flashed all over uh, social media, and that's what they're basing it on, plus whatever the intel the FBI has, which is probably better than ours. Kay is right. It's not over. But it's what happens when you lie to a big part of the country and get convince them that shit has been stolen from them that hasn't been. This is the culmination of years of this president lying and people insisting on believing his lie. Any facts that go against it is proof of a conspiracy against the president. It makes no fucking sense, but that's what's happened. I'm I'm just amazed that it's days later and we're only now finding out just how horrific things were because it looked like it was just a silly thing at, at first, you know, the way the news was trying to portray it. And then now we're starting to see that there were co- coordinated efforts that were going on within the mob as they yeah, entered. It, it didn't look cute and quiet uh, on this end. I was sitting there watching it with my... Uh, my uh, history teacher father, who was just been weaving between anger and uh, and uh, depression all week. Well, yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the way he should be feeling, because things like this should never happen. George W. Bush said it, like things like this happened in banana republics. I mean, come on. <laughs> he, I mean, he wasn't necessarily a great president, but even, even he sees what was going on. I mean, yeah. My dad has yeah. been in the, in those buildings. Uh, he's been in a lot of those spaces, and he was horrified at the place they're getting into. It's like I I I, I got in there once with a senator. You can't get in there easily. Yeah, well, I mean, they're finding like on uh, Parler and some of these other messaging sites that uh, oh, there were maps rest- that were presented, and I mean, there there were there was some coordination going on with a you know a part of that mob scene. So rest in I- peace, Parler. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I I don't doubt that a bunch of fools entered the Capitol because they could. But there was the group, as Jeff said, that was coordinated, that had the zip ties with them. Uh, they they found pipe bombs, homemade napalm outside in the truck. Uh, they expected that the bombs were going to be set off to distract in one area in order to get to ha- get access to another The part that blows my mind the most is that scene with the police officer that is being followed by that crowd up the stairs. Yes. Uh, If you haven't seen that footage, it's amazing footage. Just just one solitary police officer with basically a baton. Yep. And he's basically getting this crowd to follow him up the stairs. And now we know that just down that hall, if they had gone straight, they would have gone into the Senate chamber where they were still evacuating people. And and, to and, clarify, that, dude, and that dude saved lives absolutely. by getting them to follow him up the stairs. I mean, yeah. hell, they erected a freaking gallows. They were going to hang Pence. I don't like the guy either, but come on. Really? You were going to hang the vice president of the United States and they were planning on taking hostages? I mean... No, this is this is not something you just, quote, get over and move on. I'm sorry. And there has to be consequences from this. And it was the president who who was one of many that egged them on that day and just fomented the anger and pointed them the direction of where to take it. Told them who their target was, Mike Pence, uh, while it was going on, because they're checking the president's Twitter because he is their leader, quote unquote, in this whole thing. So. 
he's telling them where to go when it comes to who who needs to be the ire of the blame on this. And you're right. And at that point, it was Mike Pence. What's happening here is, okay, as a foreigner, the ripples of this will be felt for many, many, many decades to come. Because good luck, ambassador whoever, to the UN from the U.S., bringing up an issue with some other country. Because I would just be like, listen, you sit the fuck down and control your own population before you tell me how to do my job. So, like, you, the foreign implications of this is even more... Oh, I just, oh, I'm so mad. The you're ramifications right. will be felt for years. You're absolutely right. Good luck talking to China and telling them to stop persecuting their Muslim population. You have no leg to stand on now. None. Yeah, we. it, it makes it hard for us to bring up Tiananmen Square anymore. Especially if this goes unpunished. If there is no consequences for the president for what he... I mean... He told them when to show up, what date. When they got there, he told them where to go, pointed them to the Capitol after inciting them, and then told them he loved them and thank you, go go home now after it was done. And don't forget his idiot lawyer saying trial by combat. He's not the only one that, that day that said idiot things in front of that crowd. Uh, and well, each no. one of them needs Amer- needs to pay a price for it. At least we can we can rejoice in that America is number one again. We are the <laughs> fucking dumbest. We have the <laughs> dumbest insurrectionists ever. These are people. Thank God. Thank God that they were as organized as the Trump presidency. Thank God that they were as competent as their leader. And they thought they could just go home after. Okay, we done. We done it. Now we can go back to work. No, yeah. fuckers, you're going to jail. I confess, stupid. I, I, oh, stupid! I should feel worse about this than I do, but I, I did enjoy watching all of the uh, the videos of the uh, domestic terrorists being arrested in the airport and on the airplanes. You should feel good about it. They are enemies of the United States. Yeah. If yeah. you force your way into the Capitol in order to do harm against the people working in there, even if it is just somebody that's cleaning the floor, you are an enemy of the United States. The, the one thing in regards to Giuliani that I take solace in is the uh, New York Bar Association has already begun disbarment proceedings against him. About goddamn time. Yeah, I mean, it only took, what, how many days after <laughs> to, to start thinking about it? But yeah, they, they put out a press be, release. Dude needed to be investigated for that, for his part in the ridiculous election fraud scam. Well, that they did cite that as you know him presenting legal cases without any sort of evidence uh, as a major reason for it, and then the thing that put it over the edge was his incitement by using trial by combat line in uh, in his speech. So we're we're gonna move on from this. Yes, but Kay is right. Hang tight, everybody. This is not over. No, we're gonna have about thirty bad action movies in two years if we're lucky. Andy, if that's all that comes out of this, I would be happy, but I don't yes. think it will be. Yes. Yeah. As far as a little business for the show, the uh, Geek Shock Book Club is reading All Systems Read by Martha Wells. Discussions have opened up on the Geek Shock Facebook page. And that being said, gentlemen, let's move on to happier times. What geeky things did you do this week? I, I think we need to defer to our guest. Once again, we have Dr. Vlarg here. Barry Robb is back. He's not so much a guest as a uh, a cancer that we can't get rid of. <laughs> I'm here the entire time. I've just been very quiet. Tumor Vlarg, what did you do this week? Uh, tumor Vlarg uh, suffered through a week of work. 
and try to ignore the news as best he can by watching Snowpiercer on uh, HBO Max. And I absolutely love it. I see now what... Okay, I never read the book, but it's clear you could not have told that story in a movie. There's so there's so much nuance to it. I really enjoy it. I, I think it's a, it's a good watch for everybody. So you're watching the TV show, not the movie. Yes, the TV show. I've seen the movie. It was fun. But you get two hours and you move on. TV show, you get a lot of time. You get to go from character to character to see how everyone interacts. It's a whole big deal. It's fun. And Jennifer Connelly is an amazing actress. Just amazing. One of my first crushes. Everybody's, really. Mm. But it's beyond that now. Now, she, she, she brings it. She's really good. Even back in the day, she was supremely talented. Well, yeah, She's, but now even more so. She's yes, crushed. exactly. That's what I was meant. I was trying to imply. Let's see. What else? Oh, hmm. I don't know. I played Minecraft. Did you? Apparently, and I was not around for this, rumor has it, and by rumor, I mean the server logs, Torgo logged on. Oh, he, did he now? Yes, he did. I was not there to see what he did. I'm so curious, but we'll put a pin in that. That sound? That was the pin sound. I put a pin in it. We're going to get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny that, uh, that Master Torgo logged back onto Minecraft. Well, I can definitely confirm that you were on because at a uh, oh, let's see what did the server log say? Four thirty-four UTC on uh, the eleventh. You logged on, sir. Maybe, 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 maybe I poked around a little bit. Just maybe a little bit. I'm curious as to what you did, but uh, I'll have to log on myself and see. Maybe okay. I logged back on to find my entire mining system encased in ice. Whoever the motherfucker was that did that. <laughs> <laughs> not Maybe that happens. Was uh, not me. You've got to get to town. I'm just saying. <laughs> there's a lot. I intentionally did not go to town because I didn't record when I went on in. I was just kind of getting a feel for the controls once again, yeah. and just basically putzed around in my own area a little bit. But uh, whoever left the ice, I see you. I see you. <laughs> um. Other otherwise, I really didn't do a lot of geeky stuff uh, this week. Other than just try and drink myself into a, a nice slow grave because the country is terrible. No one would blame you, sir. No one will blame you. Uh, Matt, what did you do this week? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. What did you do? Uh, nothing. <laughs> I worked. I had uh -huh. very long days. Oh, I bet you week. did, brother. So. I bet you did. Did you get at least some War Warcraft time in? I'm actually playing as we record. <laughs> he's a, a multitasker. I'm herbing right now. Because I got so I, I need to increase the herbs in my bag so I can make more potions. Man, I wish I was herbing right now. Never. <laughs> right. All right. In that case, uh, we'll move on to you, Andy. What did you do? Last week, I talked about uh, how my dad and I watched Three Amigos and uh, um, Hudson Hawk. And my dad was talking about similarities between them. Stemming from that, I explained that Three Amigos was essentially another spinoff from uh, Seven Samurai. So this week, my dad and I watch Seven Samurai, uh, Magnificent Seven, and A Bug's Life. Nice. <laughs> nice trio. <laughs> and uh, and of the three, what was your favorite? Uh, you know, I'd actually never seen all of Seven Samurai all the way through, and it is brilliant. I mean, I know everyone says that, but it is brilliant. It was weird watching The Magnificent Seven that closely to it, because they combined two of the characters of Seven Samurai into the same character from Magnificent Seven. And I think they did that 
because Robert Vaughn got cast in a movie very late and they had to create a role for him that was specifically for him. Well, all three of those movies are brilliant in their own way. All right. uh, How is Bugs Life like Magnificent Seven? It's the same movie. It's it's a bunch of villagers uh, being defended by a, a group of, uh, of uh, heroes. Bugs Life sort of spins off in its own direction with the the uh, the actors becoming the heroes. Then you get into if I kept going down this, I could go down to Galaxy Quest. Uh, Blazing Saddles has a bit of the same thing. Seven Samurai and the Magnificent Seven are obviously very much the same movie. Uh, but then there's a whole bunch of things that are very reminiscent of them. Fury Road actually took a scene directly out of uh, Seven Samurai. Man, I've seen a scene by side by side comparison of those scenes. You know, Andy, if you liked uh, Seven Samurai, you should really also watch Rashomon. That's a uh, another fantastic Kurosawa film. I, and, and, I, and I did look that up. In fact, I uh, today my dad and I watched the Lev- the Leverage episode. That's uh, the Rashomon nice. story. Yeah, I, I, I like that episode a lot. I I enjoyed Leverage so much. I wish that yeah. show was still on. I've watched a few episodes into the second season of Doom Patrol now. Loving the hell out of that. They do things at the end of that season that I was astounded by. I was like, oh, we're going there. Wow. I've not seen anybody go there and then continue beyond that before. I love Brendan Fraser's acting without being able to use his face and his voice acting, basically. And, and the fact uh, that it's a different actor performing in the suit, too. Right, right. And uh, and I'm sorry I should know the name. I don't really know other names of the actors in it. Uh, but the actress playing Jane, she is so good that I was well into the... I was probably almost into the end of the first season before I, it occurred to me how good of an actress she is because she is just switching roles left and right. She's <laughs> playing 15, 16 people. Yeah, I mean, uh, 64 is a number, but you only see her playing 15, 15 or 16 people, I think. Oh, Diane Guerrero. That's Diane her name. Guerrero. But yeah, she's she's amazing. I I did not read those books. I read a couple issues of the old Doom Patrol from the 60s, but uh, I just, for some reason, never picked up the Grant Morrison Doom Patrol. And I, I kind of want to find those graphic novels down and go through them, because uh, where, where they go with it is brilliant. Oh, and... and um, Alan Tudyk is a wonderful villain in the first season. Absolutely. Has anyone seen him in that alien thing he did? No, it hasn't started oh, yet. It starts uh, next week, I believe. Uh, no, uh, like twenty second, I think, or something like that. What, and what's it called? The Alien Resident Alien, right? Yes. It's because he's a doctor as well, so he's a yes. resident as well as an alien, as a right. as a resident alien. I thought it was a brilliant play on words. All right, uh, Commander K, what'd you do? Uh, first off, I just want to quickly go back to the Capitol. One thing and said, uh, Eugene Goodman is the name of the police officer who misdirected the rioters from the Senate chambers. Eugene and, uh, Goodman. Thank you for looking that yeah. up. Yeah. Just, uh, say his name and let their light be on it. Cause yeah. God bless him. Uh, you might want to say that again, Kay. Cause you said Capitol what? one. Capital One. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's where they would have gone if Rudy Giuliani was organizing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I actually saw that meme today. And it yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. I also saw one other thing. Um, there was a protest, a pro Trump protest outside of Twitter's headquarters in San Francisco. One person. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Is that a protest technically? I know. It's just one woman holding a fuck Jack Dorsey sign. I was just like... How many people are required for a riot? Uh, yeah. 
uh, I think you need at least four for a quiet riot. Yeah. Oh. I hate you. <laughs> hey, oh. Um, what did I do? I watched Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Oh, good. <laughs> that's a thing. Because, uh, you know, that's a that's a nice dystopian uh, post 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 apocalyptic movie. The sequel yeah. that Charlton Heston was in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sort of know, in. <laughs> far future talking apes, mutants, uh, telepathic mutants. That's my jam. I watch that again. And uh, I watch a little more Venture Brothers. I'm, I'm getting caught up finally. I finally figured out what was confusing me about Venture Brothers. I hadn't seen all this in Gargantua 2, which is sort of like an interim movie long episode. And uh, so I was getting confused with continuity and stuff like that, which is hilarious to say about a cartoon. But in Venture Brothers, it actually mattered for something. But I think I'm finally on track to watching stuff I haven't seen before after a week. <coughs> Cobra Kai. <coughs> I have not watched Cobra Kai yet. Yeah, you still haven't um, finished season two. Yeah. Which, which no, you can I haven't. finish in less than two hours. Really? You were like halfway through, right? Yeah, something like that. The whole season is only five hours long, and that's if you count the credits and everything. Oh, take, take that out. You're 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 like four and a half hours. Well, geez, I guess I'm on the spot now, aren't I? I haven't seen Cobra Kai season three either, so there you go, Jeff. Ha ha ha. Well, but out. he has the excuse of having a, a job where long hours are involved, so I, I can yeah. give Matt a pass on that one. Well, you're just going to give Matt a pass on everything, I bet. No, not well, everything. Matt, well, Matt's a hero. Of course he gets a pass on everything. Oh, okay. And that, that's pretty much about it, I think. Uh, if there was anything interesting, it didn't interest me enough for me to remember it. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, what did you do this week? Uh, let's see. So finished uh, the season finale of uh, Star Trek Discovery. Um, I thought it was a really good season overall. I was very pleased with everything that went on with the season. Do you still feel it is your favorite season? Because you said that when it started. Yes, I, I still feel like this is my favorite of the season so far. Um, it definitely has more of, at least to me, has more of a quote-unquote Trek feel to it. I don't agree with people that say that the first two seasons didn't feel very Trekky to them. I still agree that they, I still believe that, that they were very Trekky uh, the first two seasons. But this one, just to me, felt the most trek like um even though it is star trek i don't know it's it's that balance of social commentary the bonding between the characters the mixing in of science fiction as well as just an overall entertaining story you know it's like that confluence of all of those things together the reason I ask that is because there's people like, mm, I don't know, what's his name? Uh, Vernon, uh, bitch about Trek and how it's, oh, no, this isn't my Trek. Brr, brr, brr. And I hear a lot of the like, talk about that on the Internet where, oh, this doesn't feel like Trek. It's not Trek. It's something else. What the hell is that? You know what I think it is? The what? lack of a utopian vision and a lot of action. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Trek people decry a lot of laser fights. They like some, but if you have too much, then it gets too space opera for them. Oh, I love it. I know you love it, Kay. You should love it. Everyone should love it. Space I love that, and I love the giant TARDIS-like interior of the turbo lift <laughs> shafts, right? That, that bothered yeah. me. That was, that <laughs> that was, was an interesting insane. scene. 
That Apple. was insane. What was that all about? I, I, <laughs> that doesn't I, make I, any sense. I wasn't thinking about it at the time while it was happening, but like on, after the episode was over, I'm like, what part of the ship was that? I mean, <laughs> we've we've seen we've seen so much of the ship, and then all of a sudden there's this giant chasm with no turbo shafts. What when did oh that happen? God. What season that is that part of? It's, that it's part of this current. It was in the final episode it's of in the finale. Okay. When you see it, uh, Todd, you'll just be there like, wow. It's a nice, it's a nice little action set piece, but right. it's also like, let's not worry about how this actually fits in the ship. Now, you could that again, fit Kirsten. another ship in that area. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Such bullshit. Yeah, like a hot dog down a hallway. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, but anyway, yeah, um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I, you know, honestly, Barry, I never take anything that Vernon says negative about anything to heart because he doesn't like a lot of new things. And then sometimes he'll start to like something, but then he'll watch a YouTube video about why this thing is quote unquote terrible. And then suddenly he hates it. So like, you'll start to make inroads and he'll be like, Oh, that wasn't too bad. And then all of a sudden, Oh my God, that was so terrible. Let me tell you why it's terrible. And he'll basically repeat what was said in that YouTube video verbatim. I mean, K knows better than anybody else. Vernon is the old man that yells at the cloud. Yes. There it is. Yeah, and people like him are the same, which is why I love Discovery, and I love it even more because they hate it. <laughs> well, spite, there's there's the that too. Motivator. It's a spite yeah. love. Spite um, love. So yeah, um, I also finished uh, Transformers: War for Cybertron: Earthrise. The second half was really interesting because they tied a lot of Transformers mythology together. So like you're talking the original TV series, you're talking the movie, you're talking about Beast Wars, a lot of different mythologies. It was tying it together in that uh, the last three episodes because it's only a six episode season. It started off kind of slow, so I wasn't sure where it was going to go, but it definitely got more interesting than that second half. So now I got to wait another year for the uh, the third and final chapter. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's worth a watch. I mean, it's not like, oh my God, this is so good kind of uh, episode. But if you like Transformers, it definitely is an intriguing take on the mythology and, and tying all these disparate things together. I find it fascinating the way they, they were trying to do that. If I haven't watched any Transformers in my life, is this a good place to start? I'd, I'm not sure how to answer that because they do make it its own story. But I think having seen some of the other things, like especially the movie and the original Transformers series would be very helpful, I guess is the best way to, to, to put it. I, I don't necessarily think it's, it's a requirement, but it's definitely would help. Okay. So, so no, then it's ways. Yeah. It's hard. For, it's hard for me to say definitively. It's a very soft no from on his part, but uh, reading between the lines, I'd say it's a fuck yes no. You, you don't want to start here. It's a fuck yes no, according to uh, yeah. Fuck okay. yes no. <laughs> uh, I played some pinball this week, guys. I don't know if uh, you've heard, but I, I enjoy a lot of pinball. I heard you got destroyed on a table. Dude, I'm still destroyed. I, I, Leon Mitt, uh, or also known as uh, the hashtag Team Vlarg representative. Oh, yeah. Uh, is still kicking my butt on Medieval Madness. 
Uh, I have been called out on a few tables throughout the week. A few scores were beaten. Uh, I have reclaimed all of those scores. Good attempt, the monkeys. I appreciate what you're trying to do, uh, but uh, stay down. Stay down. Um, no, I love I love the competition. And, and I appreciate you calling me out when you've beaten a score, because some of those are hard to find. There are so many modes in this VFX pinball game that you could play a version of this table and I'll, and I'll never see your score because you can play it in the regular single player. You can do it in the challenges. And there's also one that takes away all the bells and whistles that they've added for pinball effects to play a very naturalistic game of pinball. And that you can set it up for arcade style or tournament style with all the modes. It's crazy how many different variations per table there are. Yeah. I'm not sure I can enjoy medieval madness without the little plastic castle shaking. It does. It absolutely shakes, and you they 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 add a lot of extra digital filler, like they animate the dragon and so on. But you can turn that all off with the touch of a button, and it just replicates what the table itself does. So it does that little castle shake in exactly the same way that the medieval madness table actually does. Mm. So it it is a great re- reproduction. Now I will say uh, this week I've kind of found a new discovery that I wasn't taking advantage of. Uh, As you're playing each table, you gain experience points and you are able to build up bonuses on the table. For example, uh, the more time you spend in the bumpers, that increases your ability to raise your score with those bumpers or, or multi-ball. Well, it's, it's part of, it's part of the main part of the game. And unless you go to the, version that that takes away all the bells and whistles you're kind of stuck with that all right bill check whatever <laughs> that's uh, very nice shenanigans uh, it's not like the original game it's bullshit and 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 barry i i kind of agree uh with it uh, i'm i'm more than happy to play with it without, without the bells and whistles but there's also some fun parts about this because you have to choose which pluses you want for your table and so it's everything from how far, how much the ball moves across the table. Like you get 10,000 points for every 10 yards, the ball moves and things like that. So there's six different things, but you have to choose two of the six. Uh, however, once you've beaten a table to a certain extent, then there's another form of abilities that you can choose from one of three. One is to slow time for a very short amount of time. Uh, uh And one is to back up time to replay something if things don't go your way. And I haven't been touching those at all during this whole time. That's all well and good, but I don't think you can possibly count those Chidi Magoo levels as far as trying to beat the the scores on on the other people. Uh, Well, that's just it. Uh, It's available to everybody, and I know they're using it. Do you? Oh, no, that is bad. No, I'm glad I'm not involved in this. So I so I, I haven't been touching it until I realized it, I think, last night. I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that. So I started playing with that last night. So don't mm-hmm. be surprised if some of the scores climb up a little bit just because the game lets me. But you know what? I am fine. If you want to call me out on a regular game of unfettered pinball, just just go down one level on the menu and choose the the classic simple pinball and, and challenge me there. In fact, uh, Microscope did that. He did that on the X-Men table and laid up a rough score to beat. Always playing queen, baby. Always playing queen. Listen, it, it's I play the game as they as the game allows it, and you can't you 
can't really turn it off. It's like you want to choose these or not. That's crap. That that angers me. It, it it is what it is. But you know what, monkeys? When it comes down to it, I will meet you at whatever level you want to play. If you want to play the full effects thing with all the experience point stuff involved, absolutely. That's where we've been playing for most of this stuff. Uh, but if you want to do in the uh, stripped down version, I'm more than happy to do that too. Especially those Williams tables. Those are a lot of fun. I hope they release more of those. Real pinball players, real purists will honor system it and play right and not play with all the digital hoo-ha that just destroys this. Hoo-ha! Monkey, don't listen to this old man. He doesn't understand how this stuff works. Old man, I'm with Vlarg. Uh, Of course, old man. Of course you're with Vlarg. You're an old man, too. (laughs) Old man, that's enough for you. He's an old man. man. Whoa, what the fuck was that? <laughs> that was all, everybody saying the same thing. <laughs> We're all yelling at our clouds. <laughs> I, and I've started uh, season four of Clone Wars. I've already gone through the full third season. And yes, nice. uh, it's so good now. By the end of the third season, that show gets great. Yes. There, there, there are points in there and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to watch more of this. And each storyline takes three or four episodes to tell. So you're basically getting hour and a half, two, two hour long storylines for each one. It's, it's great. I can't wait to see where it goes from here. It's, 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 I would, I would venture to say it's better than the payoff of suffering through season one of Star Trek, the next generation. So yeah, if you've ever considered doing clone wars and you may maybe started and like, ah, this isn't for me. Just, just grin and bear it. Get, get all the way up through the halfway point of second season, and you'll start to see it really change in quality. It's impressive. In England, twelve is a riot. Need twelve people to be a riot. <laughs> really? So That's what like you've done with all your time. In my room and be no, a I've had that for a while. I've been waiting for a gap in the conversation. Wow. <laughs> that doesn't Andy, happen. You're the gap in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that title Gap in the conversation Andy That's going to be part of the way I introduce myself You know I'm doing my full introduction You know the the, uh, Descendant of the witches And and, uh, defender of the the, the Backyard that kind of stuff I'll I'll throw in the uh, gap in the conversation And I like all the The uhs too that has to be in there As well (laughs) Oh they are They, They are F. Andrew Taylor, the um, defender of the backyard and um, uh, the uh, descendant of witches and um, uh, gap in the conversation. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Anything else you do this week, guys, that you want to bring up? I did watch and I really enjoyed the first episode of the Netflix series, uh, I think it's the history of curse words. I think that's. I think that's what. Oh, it's, I forgot to mention that too. It's really good. Yeah. History of swear words. Yes, with Nicholas Cage. Yes. Yeah, so Nicholas next Cage. time you see your buddy Nick, uh, Jeff, uh, you know, give him kudos for us because that that he's really brilliant in that. I'll tell him next time I see he, him. He makes it. His his sort of uh, his sort of masterpiece theater presentation of the curses just nails it. I I love the mix of comics talking about it with professors of sociology and historical analysis of the different origins of words. I, I find that, you know, that the whole etymology of how words come to being is is fascinating. And also the uh, the presenting of the false narrative of how the word came to be 
and then debunking that with the true origins I thought was right. amazing. All right, gentlemen, we have some emails to get through here. So we will start off with the first one. Hey, guys. Email? Shock monkeys can't read. All See, right. This is why we don't have you on the show much, Barry. <laughs> hey, guys, I've been a listener since ICS started, and as a sci-fi lover, I became an instant fan. I went back and listened to every episode and, and enjoy every iteration of your show. Oh, you I poor rec- bastard. I recently had a conversation with my mother in which I got her to see sci-fi as more than just brainless escapism. I gave her a few examples of social commentary in sci-fi, and she wants to dive in. So my question for you lovely people is, can you recommend sci-fi films with incisive social-slash-political themes? Brain food. I have a list, but I can think of no better people to answer this question definitively. Thank you in advance. Fucking you in the fucking face. Mohan Nair. Oh, P.S. Where's that Patreon? I need to give back to the pod that has given me so much entertainment over the years. Aww. I got, I got one answer for this. Babylon okay. 5. Babylon <laughs> 5. That's not <laughs> technically a film, but you know what? I think They had movies. They had TV movies. movies. They had yeah. like four or five of them. So and you you're get, wrong, you get sir. TV anyway, so you are wrong, sir. He's you agreeing four... with you, you lunkhead. I'm <laughs> <laughs> so used to not. <laughs> you know, right okay, back. Matt's just not used to anybody agreeing with him, so that's why he just reflectively started attacking Barry. What were you saying, Barry? Sorry, I apologize. I was saying you're 100% right, Matt, and very wise. But then you ridiculed me. So now I think maybe you're not. <laughs> so Babylon 5 from Matt. That's only, that's only what, four seasons? Five? Uh, five. Uh, four TV movies? Like the, the, five, uh, the pilot movie and three others? There's about five. Four movies and the pilot movie. Uh, say that again, Matt. You came in real low. Four movies and a pilot movie. So five. Again, weird. Uh, four movies and a pilot movie. <laughs> yeah. Five. And that sounded completely unnatural. Say it one more time. No, I'm not falling for this again. <laughs> I'm not falling for this again. <laughs> All right, I'm done. <laughs> Go with your little <laughs> Kay, what do you got? I will start with uh, Day the Earth Stood Still. One of the best uh, science fiction movies ever made, and it was uh, made uh, by uh, motionless picture director Robert Wise. It's an it's a 50s sci-fi movie, uh, a black and white, and it deals with the uh, growth of uh, the nuclear arms race. But I think that that can still be a little appropriate, no matter what the time. I think that historically, as an as an old old science fiction movie. That's definitely one to think of. How'd you like the new one? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You know what? It's really funny because I think a, a Day the Earth Stood Still needs Gort in it. And apparently they weren't going with a Gort until testing audiences were like, where's Gort? And so then they shoehorned Gort in there and it just, it, it looked like a lot of post-production finagling kind of just ruined it. So... I wasn't as impressed. If you want to go super, super old school, dig up Metropolis. Oh, oh that was wow. number one yeah. on my list. Yeah, yeah Metropolis too. 
it 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 it's a it's a big statement about class. Yeah, classism. Statement. Yeah, uh, labor stuff like that. I mean that that one is just is just um, and it's also just in terms of historical perspective, uh, a film history perspective. It's an amazing thing to look at. And, you know, you sit there and watch and you're like, oh, that's where C-3PO came from and shit like that. I think it's even um, more poignant now, Kay, because yeah. we've really gotten a much wider divide between the classes, especially yes. the wealthy class sitting on top with everything now. Right. No, absolutely, Jeff. Absolutely. Speaking of class and that sort of thing, um, I've, I'm always impressed with how prescient the uh, 1970s version of Rollerball was. Uh, that yes. movie talking about corporations running the world and bread and circuses for the people is it's got some interesting statements, views of the future from the 1970s that actually have kind of kind of panned out. They've kind of they kind of hit the right note. So I, I kind of went with older movies in terms of of looking at that and then there are standbys like robocop which is a seminal right it's 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 over the top and nuts it is yeah, a tremendous actual commentary movie in its of itself yeah robocop definitely skews into the political satire realm even though it's an action movie yeah. because you do talk about things like uh, police corruption industrial decline corporate greed consumerist oblivion etc i mean it's it's really fascinating because i actually had that on my list i had some notes i wrote in there too yeah in many ways robocop is like a it's like you know a rotating gatling gun a mini gun of social commentary with just right. just a whole bunch of little buzzing around so this despite despite the fact that you know on the surface it's just a sci-fi action movie but it's got tons of little shots in it that i think are great I mentioned Beneath the Planet of the Apes, so I'll mention Planet of the Apes, which was uh, one of the more potent political, social, humanitarian commentaries, especially at the end scene, which is now iconic. That's a, actually an incredible, an incredible uh, movie. The first one of that series is outstanding science fiction, I think. So that's what I'll go with. Nice list, Kay. I'll throw a few out there. Uh, District 9. Yeah, yes. I have that one. If you want to tackle the subject of how societies treat refugees, that's pretty spot on the nose. Uh, another fine one is uh, the TV show of Westworld, as far as the the nature of existence. Uh, if you want something that is kind of on the nose and kind of has that same, you can just take it as an action style movie like RoboCop. Uh, but there's something underneath it that's not too hard to find if you want to look. Uh, you can look to uh, John Carpenter's They Live or Starship Troopers if you want a statement of how societies can fall to fascism. Mm -hmm. I also might recommend, if you want something that's just plain political machinations, uh, the TV series The Expanse. Uh, again, on its sleeve, very much a space opera, but it's also about the machinations between Earth, the society that Mars has sprung up, and the almost classless society that lives in the asteroid belt. Uh, Matrix is kind of the same uh, as far as the nature of reality and choosing a non-reality versus an actual one. But most of all, I, I think if you want something kind of deep and heavy, 
uh, take a look at Children of Men. Mm, yeah. Uh, that that one is a, is a bit of a hard hitter. I'll look into it a little bit first, I recommend, but it's a... Uh, it's a, it's a, it has something very serious to say, and, and you know exactly what it's trying to say. If you watch Children of Men, watch a comedy afterward, like Three Amigos, because that's a depressing fucking movie. Yeah, yep. yeah, it is. And of course, uh, Barry watched it already. A uh, Snowpiercer. Uh, that's another one that that holds its classism on, on its sleeve. Are you talking about the series or the movie? Both series. I'm talking about the series. The movie was okay. Yeah, if you if you want a bigger, deeper dive and probably a more political one, the TV series. But you kind of get the gist with the movie. Uh, so those are the few. I, oh, and uh, if you just want a really good, deep brain food one, uh, Moon. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, Moon. I didn't even think about that one. Moon, yeah. Moon is excellent. Uh, a, a very quiet little sci-fi piece. Uh, that uh, the less you know about that going in, the better. Yeah, I don't want to say too much about it either because it is a really interesting examination of, well, watch the movie. Spoilers, <laughs> it's about the moon. All right. <laughs> Kate took a couple of mine, Metropolis and Planet of the Apes. Those are number ones. <laughs> Metropolis, by the way, random aside, works very well if you put it on at a party and you turn the sound off and you play Depeche Mode's Exciter over it or Glitch Mob. Equilibrium was a very uh, heavy-handed type of thing, uh, like classism and whatnot. It's always classism with sci-fi, I've noticed. There's a lot of it's just about classism, not about any other social stuff. Well, but it's also equilibrium. about the, the dangers of mixing religion into uh, politics. With yeah, equilibrium. also, if you like dogs, don't watch Equilibrium. But right. There's a couple scenes. Uh, but uh, it's good fun, and it's Christian Bale. So, hey, how you go wrong? Um, but my favorite, obviously, is uh, Battlestar Galactica, the 2005 version, not the original, which I did not enjoy. Lots of different political stuff going on in BSG 2005. You just stuck a knife in Kay's heart by knocking the original Battlestar. Eh, fuck him. No, he's, he's right. He's right. <laughs> Matt and I are agreeing eye to eye tonight. What's up? What is oh, going on you- here? Two crustiest bastards on the show. Jeez, what are the odds? <laughs> oh, I agreed with it. There's no need to name call. What the heck? Okay. Speaking of crusty bastards, how about you, Andy? A couple of the ones I've had were listed off here, but I got some others. Demolition Man, I, I think, is kind of ah, brilliant. That was on and my it, list, and too. And it's a lot of these are kind of lefty. This one's sort of over-the-top political correctness. This is sort of a... <laughs> What happens if the world gets too politically correct? <clears throat> um, and when corporations start taking over politics as well. Right. Also, um, idiocracy. So that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, Fahrenheit 451 was, you know, that's that's right up there. Soil and Green. Pretty hard-hitting sci-fi when it came out. And, and now I think if we put it, if we made a remake, people are going, I don't know, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very um, true. Hold on a second. Hold on. I didn't talk about Soylent Green for a second. People uh, everyone knows what the what the thing is with Soylent Green. I'm not going to mention here in case for some reason you've been living under the under a rock for the last 30 40 years. But there's other fun bits about that movie that are really poignant. About how they like they treat people and how the the girls in the apartment are furniture, 
That movie, there's a lot to it. That is really fucked up. Brazil. If you thought 1984 was, was too soft. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Brazil. Oh, my God. What a movie. Mm-hmm. I just love that movie for, for Robert De Niro playing comedy. That just blew my hair right back. Uh, Logan's Run, which uh, you know, has several weird uh, political things going on. Well, yeah, the theme of ageism. Theme of ageism, which you don't see in a lot of movies. Although you see a little bit of it in uh, Soul and Green. Um, True. Running Man, much like... Uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that is... That is the the age of I mean it's it's, it's the softer version of your uh, your rollerball but I mean that is Running Man it's very much what TV is now I mean that is dude that dude was, that's reality TV reality exactly. competition TV right there just throw right. some criminals someplace and have them fight it out and see who survives well, it's it, funny that, too because uh, uh, King's whole theme on that was you know it's the replacement of the 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 gladiatorial arena as a way to distract the populace from the politics going on don't don't bring king into it because that is not stephen king's original story that's basically a story they stuck king's name on well yes but i'm i'm more referring to the book but yes you're right uh the the book is is more of uh, augmented reality i guess yeah oh if you're not familiar, the difference between the two, uh, in Stephen King's original story, uh, they release a guy out into the general public, and the entire nation plays the game trying to find him. Yeah, really? Fun. Yeah, that's that's what the original story is. It is told by the uh, the guy who's been released's point of view. Yeah, and he can go anywhere in the world, uh, basically. But, uh, but I'll... I- Actually, go on a on a limb and say the the movie has more to say uh, politically than King's version did. Okay, yeah, and Richard uh, Dawson was amazing. Oh, Richard Dawson, great. Who yeah. loves you and who do you love? <laughs> <laughs> and I got two more weird ones. Uh, Wally. That's not weird. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. If you're watching it with your mom, that's a good one to start with. And then the one you probably don't want to watch with your mom, Rocky Horror Picture Show. How <laughs> the fuck is Rocky Horror Picture Show poignant? It's social commentary. It is The world is much more like Rocky Horror Picture Show. I mean, when that was out, that was incredibly transgressive. Now people complain about them using the word transvestite. I mean, it's sort of pushed beyond that. But I mean... What Andy's trying to say is Andy's world is more like Rocky Horror Show. The world got more open and more accepting of different lifestyles in large part because of that movie. I, I think that that movie had an impact socially and politically, but I don't think Rocky Horror Picture Show itself is a social political yeah. piece. I think it very subtly is. I think it is. I think, it, I think very subtly it is trying to push the uh that point it's trying to push that social point uh, 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 uh and i'm still waiting to hear what that social point is uh, the social point is <laughs> no the social point is that uh, embracing who you are embracing the weirdness in you embracing the unusual in yourself you can probably pick about three or four disney films that didn't do that that's that's sure, a lot of films sure. on a basic level I, yeah there's, there's uh, a socio-political uh, a film that has something socio and political to say uh, it definitely had something to say on a uh, sexual revolution level, 
for its time, yes, it did some some change and some good. Uh, but the movie itself, I, I think if you showed that to somebody and said, here's the social commentary, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find it. Yeah, I don't think it's as shocking today as it was when it came out. No, no, not at all, because the world has become more like that. Yeah, we've hopefully evolved some. I mean, I mean, uh, um, uh, Danny the Street is like, you know, this happy little place in Doom Patrol. Right. And, uh, it, would, it would be really out of the, out of the world in, uh, back when Rocky Horror came out. All right, Jeff, uh, we you, th- we gave ours. What's left on your list? I was going to say, you, you, most of what I had on my list, you guys have uh, uh, have actually addressed. But I was kind of surprised nobody brought this one up. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, full title, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Is that a sci-fi uh, movie, though? It is still classified as a sci-fi movie, believe it or not. That's as much political satire as you can really get, because it's kind of outrageous in its presentation. But the themes addressed are actually quite scary and kind of applicable to today. It was more in the Cold War, the classic Cold War, I should say, even though we're kind of going through a new Cold War now with with Russia and and then, of course, other nations that are developing nuclear weapons. But uh, bring back back the original flavor of Cold War. Yeah, the the one where mutually assured destruction was enough to to right. to quell any any potential world destruction. Right. Now this new coke shit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's also kind of uh, an interesting look at you know how one unstable person can actually trigger a world war, and I think it's kind of poignant <laughs> with what's Jeez. going on right now. And that was what? Yeah, nineteen sixty six. Nineteen sixty four. Sixty four. Here we are all these years later, and not much has changed, really. It's sitting here on DVD, and it's one of the things I have on my list to watch is, is Dr. Strange Love. Strange Love. And, and one that I thought Andy actually probably would have brought up is uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Alphaville, which is... You know, uh, I've never seen it. Really? I know it exists, but I haven't Because this seems like the kind, of, the kind of movie you would have been all over, because uh, it has some animation to it. It's a very pop art-style noir film. But, I mean, the themes in this are use of a computer to control people and their lives, and then a tyrant who outlaws emotion and free expression, which is also kind of ties into what Equilibrium was about, that Barry mentioned earlier. Also suppressing identities of people through technology and, and modern convenience. So um, it's a very interesting film. It's a, it's a 1965 film, so I'm trying to think... I mean, without my own personal bias, you know, where it, if it has aged well enough that it would be embraced by uh, younger audiences. But uh, I definitely think it's worth a watch. Unfortunately, like every other film that I had in my list got talked about here. I don't call um, that unfortunate. I uh, forgot one. <laughs> well, Elysium, the second movie from Elysium. the director of District 9. Yeah, we I was also going to mention uh, Star Trek Six. definitely addresses... Uh, racism and 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 political ramifications of trying to do peaceful transitions from a a cold war style standoff into a cooperative peaceful moving forward i mean at the time it it was an examination of the soviet union dissolving and then becoming an ally and unfortunately now in the time that we're in it's gone back to being a uh, an opposing force if you will based on its current leadership so but it is an interesting look 
presented in the world of Star Trek because Star Trek has always been sociopolitical analysis with the wrap up of being in a science fiction series. Well, sure. Even part four, the one that non-Star Trek people love, the, the whole thing is about saving the whales. Yeah, exactly. You know, the dangers of eradicating an entire species on our planet and what could happen if that happens. Wasn't there a uh, Sean Connery movie about the rainforest, about wiping out things in a rainforest? Uh, it's like a biologist collecting plants to save yeah. medicine, man? Yes, yes. Same, same, same idea. Don't, you know, it's not good to eradicate all of something. I agree. And then, is, course, that a movie, is that a movie you recommend, though? It doesn't sound like a sci-fi movie. No, yeah. that was it. The only, the only poignant thing there is don't destroy the rainforest because it could cure cancer. But it was not sci-fi. It God, what was the name of that? Medicine Man. It starred oh, yeah, yeah, Connery and Tony Soprano's therapist, whatever her name is. <laughs> <laughs> Lorraine Bracco. Yes, her. Lorraine Bracco. She left the rainforest uh, to do therapy for Tony Soprano. On the other hand, there's Zardoz. Oh, That's but a Sean Connery sci-fi flick. Justify that. Um, religious, uh, a religious control of the masses uh, by way of mythology in a in a uh, apocalyptic society, a kind of dystopic society where things have fallen apart, and you're ruled by myth. You're ruled by the promise of something that comes with obedience. No, 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 no. Justify suspenders on underwear. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're an action star, you don't want your get pantsed in the middle of a fight. <laughs> and, if, and if your underwear aren't tight enough, although I think they were, they might fall down. That wasn't underwear. That was a cod piece. With suspenders. <laughs> I, I guess what we're saying here, Mohan Nair, is don't lead with Zardas, but maybe get there eventually. <laughs> Use it as a, uh, you know, a sort of sorbet, you know, to cleanse the palate. <laughs> yeah, what? Okay. Um, <laughs> what? Uh, don't do that either. That's, uh... <laughs> don't watch it just before bed either. <laughs> well, there you go, Mohan. There, I hope that gives you some ideas of uh, potential films and a few TV series that you can uh, share with your mother that uh, have something deeper to say than your average... Uh, I mean, because when it comes down to it, a lot of sci-fi has some sort of commentary, as most right. movies do. Uh, Star Wars has its its Nazi equivalent. I mean, there's even the lightest of sci-fi has something to say somewhere. But these are more stuff that has something more apparent on its sleeve or something deeper to say than your average film. Just not Zardoz. <laughs> We have more emails, uh, but we do have to get to mail, so we'll get to come to those later. So uh, don't worry, we'll get to those eventually. But for now, let's do some news. Wait, no. Weekend Geek! <laughs> You're all queer, kid. Quantum teleportation over a long distance has happened for the first time. Yes. Uh-huh. A huge breakthrough towards quantum internet. Uh, led by Caltech, a team from Fermilab. NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, Harvard University, and University of Calgary, and AT&T have now successfully teleported quibits, that's basic units of quantum info, across 14 miles of fiber optic cables wait, 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 with... Wait. Hold on, hold on. Oh. So that's what happened to Quibi. 
that yes, oh, that's supported a different it. thing. How dare you, Matt? <laughs> uh, the, this this is bigger than Quibi. Uh, oh, okay. These units, uh, Quibi is uh, smaller bytes. These are okay. These cubits. Are cubits. Cubits. What's a cubit? It's a quantum bit. Anyway, they've teleported, they've teleported qubits across almost 14 miles of fiber optic cables with 90% precision. Uh, when quantum internet arrives, it will make Wi-Fi look obsolete. Uh, fiber optic cables that were used in the experiment are everywhere in telecommunication today. Information traveled across the cables at incredible speed with the help of semi-autonomous systems that monitor it for uh, while managing control and synchronization of the entangled particles. Uh, the system could run up for, up to a week without human intervention. Uh, with this system, the teams are planning to lay out the Illinois Express Quantum Network, which will use the same technologies. Uh, more tech will be needed to fully realize this concept. It will combine quantum and non-quantum functions for its quantum nodes and controls. The only thing missing will be the repeaters, since they will need more development to operate over long distances. Panagiotis Spenzuris, that's the head of quantum science at the Fermilab Quantum Institute, I think, be believes quantum computing itself reaches far beyond the Internet. Quoting him, fully distributed quantum computing includes applications, uh, include GPS, secure computation beyond anything that can be achieved now, all the way to enabling advances in designing new materials and medicine, as well as basic scientific discoveries, he said. So basically, uh, of all that, uh, they teleported quantum particles about 14 miles. I think I'm too stupid to understand this. They Here teleported something physical? No, no, uh, no, 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 no. They, they're, they're teleporting, like, information. Because if you take a subatomic particle and you split it into its, like, up and down quarks or whatever, uh, one's going to have a charge of, like, plus two-thirds, another one's going to have a charge of negative two-thirds. If you change a charge on one, anywhere in the universe, supposedly, the other one gets the opposite it's, charge it's a measure of the rotation uh yeah barry not the not their charge level whatever the fuck the point is but it's it's quantum that. entangled elements andy so you can have a similar element or an atom elsewhere in the in, in elsewhere in the universe and if you measure one the one that's you know x number of miles kilometers etc away is also going to be rotating in the same direction. So it's, it's that's the way that they quote-unquote teleport. Which is supposed to be the way we're going to be ha we'll, we'll, we'll be able to have instant communication across an infinite uh, distance. So we yes. could be on like Mars or Alpha Centauri or some other galaxy and, and I can play fucking, you know, Ticket to Ride through Skype. It's, it's, you're describing it sounds friends. more like a phone call than teleportation. It would be the basis of a matter transporter, Andy. That's why they call it. But it, quantum teleportation, it is literally like sending that information from one part to another, uh, one place in the universe to another. I mean, I it's, feel it's, like I'm missing something here, though, because they only did it 14 miles. What were they doing? They need to have repeaters to make it go f further than they've got. So, and that's what they don't have as of right now. So that's Maybe what they I'm have to develop something. is those repeaters. I gotta it's, look into this. It's a really hard technology to dumb down enough that the average person can understand it. I mean, yeah, I barely understand it, and I know a lot about quantum physics, just yeah. you know, as a layperson. So, here, I'll 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 say what we're all thinking. Okay. I'll be able to see my nude photos quicker. Theoretics. Yes. <laughs> and I should be on so Mars quick. and send you dick pics from Mars, Matt. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not teleporting if you can't actually send me the dick. Well, you could 3D print the dick from Mars. Yeah, 3D print it. There you go. That's that's still no. not teleporting. This is the baseline. This is the baseline of that, Andy. That physical teleportation comes later. You have to get this part figured out first. Part of the teleport word comes from the idea that they're teleporting the quantum state. Yes. So it's not it's not just a matter of communicating information. They're teleporting yeah. the state of the matter. Yeah. It's that's way above our pay grade. Because teleporting not, physical matter, Andy, you start getting into a whole nother realm of talking about uh, is this destroying the thing that you're teleporting in order to recreate it elsewhere? You know, you start getting into the the whole themes of what is life and is this person actually the actual person that you're teleporting or is this person a copy, et cetera. I mean, you start really getting into more of the philosophy of life and so forth, but you're talking at least probably another couple hundred years away before you would even reach that level of being able to transport matter or teleport so, matter. So my stupidity in this matter doesn't really affect me. It does in one way, Andy. It affects you in the fact that when you have the ability to transport your dick, please don't. You yeah, don't want please. that. We don't please. want that. Nobody wants that. You don't want what happens to your dick. And and second of all, we don't want what happens to your dick. All right. So it's all all good there. I want to make sure that's unless clear. You're, unless you're in a bath watching it float in the suds. <laughs> oh Jesus. Oh Jesus. <laughs> uh, thank, thank, thank you, Shock Bucky's Lair, for that. <laughs> Uh, HBO Max's upcoming television series inspired by The Batman has found itself a new showrunner following the departure of Terrence Winter. Uh, Terrence Winter was the showrunner for Boardwalk Empire and writer for Wolf of Wall Street uh, in November. Now British writer Joe Barton. He's the writer of The Ritual and the creator of Jiri slash Haji. I'm not familiar with that. He will now oversee this project, which is centered on the Gotham City Police Department during Bruce Wayne's first year as Batman. Winter ended up leaving over creative differences, but the plan is still to explore those urban themes through the eyes of a dirty cop. That's kind of the baseline of that show. We lost Terrence Winter, which would have been an amazing showrunner for that show. Uh, Joe Barton, I don't know really much about him. Does uh, he teleport? Probably not, not safely. Not it's safely. Not. It's DC, so, you know. Sorry, I'm not a DC guy. I can't get excited about all these properties. And everyone wants to do something Batman adjacent, you know? Another <laughs> Gotham or whatever. Just, just, just tell oh, a fucking no, Batman story if you want to tell no, a Batman no. story. You'll love this apartment. It's Batman adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. This week, uh, we lost a lot of people. Uh yeah. This is probably the longest list of people that I've I've had to make a list for for this show. Well, uh, I don't know any of them, so I'm going to be very sad now. So we're going to uh. go through these, and one then we'll go back to 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 news, and hopefully make you happy again. But we do want to honor these people. First off, we lost voice actor Brad Venable, died at the age of 43. Venable's what? best known for the role of Griffin, who was. Uh, V's familiar in Devil May Cry 5, the video game, as well as Costas and Nader in Fire Emblem Three Houses. He also appeared in the Final Fantasy VII remake, Astral Chain, World of Warcraft, and Pokemon Masters games. 
Uh, outside of video games, Venable lent his voice talents to dozens of anime, such as Attack on Titan, where he voiced Daz, uh, Fate slash Apocrypha as the master of Saber Black, and One Piece as Scratchman Apu. He also appeared in The Disastrous Life of Saki K, Reawakened, Assassination Classroom, My Hero Academia, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Tokyo Ghoul, uh, Fairy Tale, and the Dragon Ball series. So, uh, Brad Venable. Uh, we also lost director Michael Apted this week. Uh, he was 79. He's the director of the Bond film The World is Not Enough. He also directed The Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, Apted achieved the heights of critical and commercial film success of now classic films like Coal Miner's Daughter in 1980, uh, Gorillas in the Mist in 1988. He also did the Up TV documentary project, which spanned decades and updated the lives of 14 British children beginning from the age of seven over uh, the course yeah. of 56 years. So that was his work. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, The World is Not Enough. Is that one with the uh, surfboarding bond or on the tidal wave or... It's not one of the good ones. Uh, Also, John Richardson has died uh, from COVID-19. He was 86 years old. Uh, One of his first major roles was Dr. Gorobeck in the 1960 horror film Black Sunday. His best-known roles include She from 1965, where he played an archaeologist who finds a lost city ruled by a magic queen who was played by Ursula Andres. And also mostly the uh, star of One Million Years B.C. in 1966, where he starred across from Wachel Welsh and animated dinosaurs. Uh, Richardson also starred in several spaghetti westerns in the 60s and screen tested to be the next James Bond after Sean Connery left. Other films include Frankenstein 80, uh, Eyeball, Reflections in Black, War of the Planets, and Battle of the Stars. His last mm-hmm. acting role was in 1994, a TV movie called Milner. And this week, we actually did lose Tanya Roberts a day after we talked about it last week. Yikes. Uh, based on her husband's uh, belief that she had died in his arms, she obviously wasn't in a good place at that point anyway. But uh, Roberts' most notable role is that of geologist Stacy Sutton, who she portrayed alongside Sir Roger Moore in 1985's A View to a Kill. Her earlier career included genre-adjacent roles on both the big and small screen, beginning with the horror movie Forced Entry in 1975. She was also part of the Charlie's Angels TV series in the 80s, and most recently as Midge on that 70s show. Roberts also starred in the 1982 fantasy film The Beastmaster as Kiri, a slave rescued by Dar, as well as the 1984 fantasy movie Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, in which she played the main character as well. Oh crap, that was her, huh? Yeah. Yep. Ah, by the way, Beastmaster, totally not poignant in any way, but good dumb fun. <laughs> it is, yeah, you're right with that one. <laughs> and lastly, and uh, most recently, we lost Julie Strain. Uh, Julie mm. is best known for her pinup work for sci-fi comic staple Heavy Metal Magazine. She was also the visual basis and voice actor for the animated movie Heavy Metal 2000. In her 19 years of acting, she racked up over 130 credits, including an appearance in The Exorcist spoof Repossessed, Steven Seagal's Out for Justice, the Jean-Claude Van Damme film Double Impact, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, The Final Insult, Beverly Hills Cop 3, and the horror films Witchcraft for the Virgin Heart, Psycho Cop Returns, The Devil's Pet, Sorceress and Sorceress 2, The Temptress, the Bear Wench franchise, How to Make a Monster, 13 Erotic Ghosts, 
Blood Gnome, amongst so many others. She was kind of the queen of the B-horror film. And she was also uh, Penthouse Pets from 93, I believe. She so, was yeah, young. Um, I'm seeing here de- uh, degenerative dementia. I mean, that's 58. That's that's really young. Oof. And apparently that stems back from a uh, accident while riding a horse in her 20s, early 20s. Wow. Yeah, she had like uh, some kind of a traumatic brain injury back then. And uh, it's not specified in the article I read what type of TBI, but it's not uncommon for those to turn into dementia or dementia-related illnesses when you start getting into your 50s and 60s. Wait a minute. Bad shit you do to yourself in your 20s can affect you in later years? Mm, Yes. Oh, Oh, you're screwed, Barry. I know. Screwed. Look look at him. He's been screwed for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Deb's going to have to take care of a drooling, babbling idiot in the next 20 years. Uh, Deb just calls that Thursday. Yeah. (laughs) 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 You did, pricks. Uh, so we honor those, uh, and I my my sphincter tightens for the list. I'll have to make up for next week. Sheesh, yeah. Uh, Paramount has acquired the rights to Monty Python's Spamalot. The studio okay. is set to make a movie production of the popular musical, which is already fully developed with a screenplay by Python's Eric Idle and songs by Idle and John Dupre's. Spamalot was initially in production at Fox. Once Disney bought the company, however, the film lost momentum. The movie will be directed by Casey Nicola, who was the choreographer on the Broadway production. The movie and the musical are based on the 1975 cult classic Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The comedic troops take on the legend of King Arthur. Uh, interesting. Is there a cast on that? Uh, no, this is too, way too early on a cast. Paramount has acquired the rights. They haven't even put this into development yet. So the closest to that is uh, the producers, which was uh, non, had a couple musical bits in it and got made into a musical and then began to made into a musical movie. I have no problem with this. I, I think the uh, the musical Spamalot is different enough from the movie that it should be a lot of fun. And it should be, yeah, I, 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 I think it's going to be hard to screw this one up. Agreed. It is a musical retelling of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, while at the same time making fun of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's and, super meta. And and musicals in general. What One of the best songs in it is the song that goes like this, which makes fun of the big power ballad that's in the... Uh, not, not sure if you call it a power ballad, but it, it, it basically breaks down the way the song happens in, in several shows. And in case you missed it, the song title is... The song that goes like this, unquote. Yeah. Uh, If you are curious, there is a fairly decent uh, filming of the Broadway version on YouTube. So if you want to see the the stage version of Spamalot, it is available and pretty decent. I think it is the one starring Tim Curry, if I memory serves, too. So it's I believe that was the original cast. So, yeah, so it's it's fantastic casting. I never got to see the production when it was here in Vegas. Did you? Yes, I did get to see it uh, when it was over. What was that? The Win? I think uh, it was either the Win or Venetian. It was one of those two. Ah, it? you know what? You're right. It was the Venetian. It was a Venetian. I saw uh, it too. It was really good. It it, it was Although, good. I didn't think it was as great as a lot of people said it was. Well, like um, many uh, Broadway productions that moved to Vegas, it was edited down, and they yes. got rid of the intermission. Yeah, and I yeah I think it did uh, 
uh, suffer because of that. Uh, because when I did watch the one that's on YouTube, the the full original Broadway, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I was told I, once that I was very lucky that I saw Avenue Q when it was here at the Wynn because the later versions of uh, Avenue Q were trimmed down, much like they do with a lot of the Vegas productions uh, when they were doing the stage ones. They they trimmed it down. So the yeah, when I saw Avenue Q, it was the uh, the uncut the the stage version from New York. I actually got to hold the uh, Grail from the Spamalot version here. Ah, nice. When I was at the working at the theater, that the, the, we had a rehearsal space, and they were rehearsing uh, back in that space. We were not supposed to go back there and bother them. I did bump into uh, um, Mike Nichols and Eric Idle when they were doing a read through back there. Oh but wow! They had the they had the prop sitting out back, and when there was nobody back there one day, and I went back and picked up the Grail, and I, I don't know if I was smart enough to take a picture with it. Or dumb enough to take a picture with it, but that was before you had cell cameras on your cell phone too. Yeah, I don't know if I I don't know if I had a cell phone at that point when it was out, but probably not. Well, you wouldn't have had a camera on it at the time that that was out here. It will be interesting to see this as a movie version because a lot of Spamalot works because it is on a stage. A lot of those jokes are stage jokes, so translating that into a movie is going to be interesting. I, I think they'll be able to adapt it. I think they'll be able to make it so some of those stage jokes are more directed towards the screen. Most likely. I would hope so. Uh, but again, it's very early. It's basically the changing of hands. It went from Fox to Disney, now to Paramount. And now it is official. AT&T is selling anime company Crunchyroll to Sony. The $1.175 billion deal will see Crunchyroll move to Funimation Global Group, a joint venture between Sony Pictures Entertainment and Sony Music Entertainment that distributes anime across several channels, including streaming, theatrical, merchandise, and live events. Crunchyroll is an anime service with over 3 million subscribers and over 90 million registered users. The deal will allow Funimation to expand the distribution avenues for their content, as well as expand their fan-centric offerings to customers. So Crunchyroll is getting sold to Sony for good or ill officially. Hmm. I honestly don't know how to feel about this. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing when it comes down to it. Sony already owned a lot of the stuff that was being shown on Crunchyroll or as far as the U.S. distribution rights, so it, I guess, won't change a whole lot. Funimation, it was basically Funimation and Crunchyroll when it came down to it. Now it's together, yeah. so it's it's one big solidified thing, uh, which can be a bad thing, but it also means that the library to the Crunchyroll people has just gotten that much larger. But uh, we'll see. This, this, will, this will take some time to to roll out. We'll see soon. I I'm just I've never been a big anime guy and it's, yeah, it's one of those thing yeah it's one of those things that I know is popular and I just I don't know I, it never hit me as something that I was interested in and so I like like just now have remained silent in many a conversation I've had with geek friends where I could say nothing because I got nothing for you there sorry yeah I'm still I, I I've let that slide I, I was I'm in the middle of um oh help me Kay great theme song um good story I love, how, I love how that's your your oh help me k i was in the middle of something help me k great theme song like what no. <laughs> cowboy we were talking about, yeah cowboy bebop we were talking about last night okay. uh, k speaks andy k speaks yes. andy let's, let's figure it out 
but yeah, no, I'm, I'm in the middle of Cowboy Bebop, and and I'm enjoying the hell out of that. But it is not something you can watch casually. Uh, it, it's uh, you, you gotta really you can't glance away from the screen. You might miss something, or you could be watching the screen for five minutes and nothing really seems to happen. So it, it is different. It is a different viewing experience. I know a guy who's got like Cowboy Bebop tattoos on both of his forearms, and I'm like, dude, I don't get it. <laughs> some devotion there. I just it's not for me. All right, and lastly for this week, Ava DuVernay is teaming up with Arrow writer slash executive producer Jill Blank uh, Jill Blankenship to develop a new CW project based on the Naomi limited series by Brian Michael Bendis, David F. Walker, and Jamal Campbell. DuVernay and Blankenship will write and produce the adaptation, billed as DC's biggest slash newest newest mystery. Uh, the Eisner-nominated comic, which ran for six issues last year under the Wonder Comics imprint, is oh. centered on Naomi, an adopted girl who discovers more about her origins and powers when a fight between Superman and Mogul bleeds into her small town in the American Northwest. With several Arrowverse projects ended or coming to an end, the CW is quickly filling in the vacant slots with projects like Naomi, Wonder Girl, uh, Black Lightning spinoff about Jordan Calloway's painkiller, and a possible future set Arrow spinoff about the Canaries, which I guess now has been completely kiboshed. And DuVernay is also working on an adaptation of Vertigo's TMZ comic for HBO Max. Yeah, you lost me at Berlantiverse. Oh, oh. man. Keep stuff in your head in the ground there, Barry. Big you know. mind Marvel. I have watched some DC. <laughs> and let me tell you, this is good. Here comes the hate. Deb is in the other room right now watching Flash or some other DC. Flash is awesome. Bullshit. And it's schlocky and cheesy. And I can't I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh where's where's Professor Biggs when I need him to 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 smack you down? He's at home! <laughs> Washing his I, tights. My <laughs> <laughs> problem with the Berlanti verse is that it's um, it repeats too much. It, it goes over the same territory too much, and there's way too much. I think Kay mentioned this: is that everything in there could be solved by people talking to each other if they just fucking talk. And it's like, mm. oh, that's the worst about every movie where people just don't talk. You know, mm -hmm. like this person's got a piece of information that this person needs and they're just they just don't want to talk. I just don't want to talk about it. And they walk away and then there's 20 minutes of the movie. Fuck. Done. Done. Yep. You know, I agree with you on that for The Flash, the series The Flash. Like, just talk to her. It's not unique to the Berlantiverse stuff. They do that in the Marvel films, too. No, it's not You're... unique. It's it, that that's the thing I hate about all media. But I just don't <laughs> like the DC verse. Well, I have a lot of hate in me. Ooh. Yes, well, you that, do. <laughs> I need to drink more. That's what used to drive me crazy about Arrowverse was was the whole I I lied to you and I'm sorry. I know that I hurt you. I won't do it ever again. And then the very next episode, they lie to each other. It's like, oh my god! It's like you guys have got to get past this point to make a make a make make dramatic content for God's sakes. It was crazy. The same thing happens in the Harry Potter films. It's it's dramatic content based on one person just doesn't know everything the other person does and it's crap. It's crap. And Dumbledore and Dumbledore is a dick. Dumbledore knows everything and doesn't do anything about it. Oh, I don't even get me started. <laughs> so your problem is not with the Berlantiverse specifically. It's with the way that 
all media is written for dramatic effect. Yes, yeah, so all of it. Sucks. All media is written. All media is crap. So much of it Princess is. Though. Leia oh, had told Luke about the Death Star right at the beginning. It would have all been different. All media. <laughs> all Jeez. right, gentlemen. There's pitches on this desk, and we gotta get through them. It's time for some red light, green light. Red light, green light, such a fun game to play. Doesn't matter what you say, they're gonna make this shit anyway. Do I have a sound for that? Nope. That's what the music's for. (laughs) You got a sound for it, but nobody wants to hear it. Nobody, nobody wants my sounds, and nobody wants my teleporting dick. Damn it. <laughs> I think teleporting dick is the new uh, title of the show uh, <laughs> or the yeah, podcast. I'm writing it down now. <laughs> and what, what's it? What's that your cover band for, Andy? Uh, teleporting dick is my dickies cover band. Too easy. Too, Too easy. easy. Too easy. And, yeah. and once again, uh, teleporting dick is your cover band for uh, Kiss's Love Gun album. Love it. <laughs> except, except. Okay, there you go. Yeah. You recovered. I'll, I'll also accept, except. Huh? The band accept. Oh, the there's wall. a blast yeah. from the past. <laughs> I got nothing. Nor should you, Barry. Drink your drink. I'll drink my drink. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, I call this meeting of Done Right Productions to order. Uh, we got some more pitches on the desk, to be exact. We got four pitches here. Uh, I understand one of these is from a rival company. So whatever you do, don't green light the rival company pitch, all right? Each one of you, you get one green light. So use it wisely. And, of course, none of if none of these appeal to you, you don't have to use it at all. It'll save the company money, and that's what we're trying to do. But if something's good, let's get it going. All right? Listen, I'm all about saving money. My production company here, we hardly ever green light anything. We have millions and millions and millions of dollars in the bank. I love it. When you greenlight it, you greenlight it randomly by what order they came in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my department's got a problem with your department. You're too random. And your department hates everything. Your oh. department can't even speak directly into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> You're working with faulty equipment. All right, gentlemen, these are the shows you will be deciding to put your green light on. The shows are Zombies in Space, The Green Bone Saga, Resident Evil, and Risk. Those are the four shows. So here is the pitch for the first one. Sci-Fi. Sci-Fi Channel is developing Zombies in Space. It's being dubbed as a, quote, high-energy comedy thrill ride, unquote, from Edgar Wright, who did uh, Baby Driver, Hot Fuzz, we know Edgar Wright, in his first foray into television. Here's the description. In the distant future, 800,000 people are living on the space station orbiting Earth. A mysterious object from space has been found, and anyone who touches it dies within a day. Or do they? Soon the scientists realize they have an undead problem on their hands. Can they keep the zombies from spreading? Worse, can they keep the zombies from getting down to Earth? Uh, Wright will be writing alongside his partner, Michael Bacall. He's the writer for Scott Pilgrim. He also wrote the 21 Jump Street movies uh, for a, quote, 
parody and tribute to the action shows of the 80s, unquote. That is Zombies in Space, gentlemen. You can mm. stop right there. Yeah, you can stop right there. This will not be getting a green light for me. Plus, how do the zombies manage to fly a spaceship down to Earth? Okay. As I was uh, reading it, it, it kind of reminds me of Dead Space, the video game. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, Dead, if that Dead Space is kind of the uh, inspiration on this, that's... They they made that work as far as space zombies go. I don't. I never know how to deal with sci-fi because, in one hand, they make you know they make some really good stuff with some decent production value. On the other hand, they make Sharknado. You know, you're right. They 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 make some great shows and they've made some stinkers. Is it going to be a stinker on purpose or is it going to be a good one? And then you got Edgar Wright, yes, but then you get the guy who wrote Twenty One Jump Street, no. Uh, yeah. They're obviously really leaning toward the comedy aspect of it. Is Ian Ziering involved? And <laughs> Not that I see. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, gentlemen. Next up, we got the fantasy trilogy, The Green Bone Saga. Is this a Hulk porn? <laughs> <laughs> Is this the chip? <laughs> Uh, the Green Bone Saga will be coming to Peacock as the streaming channel is developing a show based on the World Fantasy Award-winning first book, Jade City. So Jade City is really the, the show. Uh, written by author Fonda Lee, here is a book description of Jade City. Uh, Jade is the lifeblood of the island of Kacon. It has been mined, traded, stolen, and killed for, and for centuries, honorable green bone warriors like the Call family have used it to enhance their magical abilities and defend the island from foreign invasion. Now the war is over, and a new generation of Calls vies for control of Kacon's bustling capital city. They care about nothing but protecting their own, cornering the jade market, and defending the districts under their protection. When a powerful new drug emerges that lets anyone, even foreigners, wield jade, the simmering tensions between the calls and the rival Eight family erupts into open violence. The outcome of this clan war will determine the fate of all green bones, from their grandest patriarch to the lowliest motorcycle runner on the streets, and of KCON itself. Wait, uh, motorcycle runner? I know, it kind of threw me too. Yeah. Uh, Dave Kalstein, who did uh, Quantico, will write and executive produce the series with Breck Eisner, who did The Expanse, tapped to direct. The first two books of Lee's trilogy, Jade City and Jade War, are available now with the final book coming out in 2021 sometime. (laughs) I like the source for that. I also like the people who are producing and director, you said? Yes. Who did Quantico? Yeah. Yes. So it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. There's a lot going on there, man. That plot, I don't know. I'm. Mm, eh, mm, mm, mm. Next up, Netflix will be adapting Capcom's Resident Evil video game franchise for the small screen. The project is being written by Supernatural producer Andrew Daub, who is also serving as showrunner and executive producer. Uh, Bronin Hughes, who did The Walking Dead and Away, is attached as director and executive producer for the first two episodes. The show's story is set to unfold across two different timelines. The first timeline follows Jade and Billy Wesker, two teens who begrudgingly move to the manufactured corporate town of Raccoon City 
As time goes on, the siblings discover that their father is keeping secrets that could destroy the world. The second timeline takes place more than a decade in the future when less than 15 million humans survive on Earth. The dominant species is a population of over 6 billion monsters infected with the T-virus. Now 30 years old, Jade does her best to survive in this new world haunted by secrets of the past. Season one will consist of eight one-hour episodes. So that's your Resident Evil TV show on Netflix. And finally, Bo Willimon, creator of Netflix's House of Cards, is overseeing a TV remake of classic board game Risk after signing a first-look deal with Hasbro-owned E1 Productions. Uh, Willimon, who also created Hulu space drama The First, will write and oversee the development of a series adaptation of the strategy game, which was created by Albert Lamoureux in 1957 and has gone on to become one of the most popular board games in history. It is the latest Hasbro property being developed by E1 after it was acquired by the toy giant in 2019 for around $4 billion. So risk the board game, the TV show. Gentlemen, yeah. So those are your options. You've got the Edgar Wright's uh, tribute to the action shows of the '80s, Zombies in Space. You've got the Green Bone Saga with the Warring Clans and the mo- motorcycle runners, uh, Resident Evil, which we're all kind of familiar with, and Risk uh, as a TV show somehow. Okay, uh, I vote Zombies in Space. All when right. I said you can, when I said you can stop right here, I was saying that as a positive. I haven't seen anything by Edgar Wright that I didn't like. That's a good point. It's uh, I, I, I feel like zombies are really overdone right now, and I think uh, many agree on this channel. Uh, but one, Edgar Wright is a, is a interesting attachment. The whole parody and action shows of the 80s shows a different take on it. It is interesting. And Matt, the threat of the zombies coming down to Earth is the same way that the threat of the zombie uh, spread always is. That asshole that gets bit and doesn't tell anybody. Oh, those are the worst. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. All right, so uh, you like that over all the other ones? Uh... I did. Although right. I want to know when the I want to know when the Resident Evil thing is coming to Netflix because I want to see that one. But I'm throwing my money behind the zombies in space. All right, Andy's got a green on zombies in space. I'm going green for the green bones. Green bones. Green and green. Just because I like the showrunners and the director of that. Yeah, Quantico is good. I don't know if anyone's seen Quantico? Yes. Yeah, it's good. A lot of twists. Very good. And I like The Expanse, obviously. So I'm going to go with the green bones. Green bone for Matt. All right, Kirsten, how about you? Well, green bone sounds kind of like uh, urban fantasy with that motorcycle runners thing. I was actually pretty interested until I heard that. And that's just not my jam. You have to really work to win me over on that. So Right. What was that? There was some series that had motorcycles and samurais or something that, that my friends really liked. Is that it? That bad yeah. Things, yeah. I, I didn't so, care for that. Yeah, so I'm 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 red light on that. I'm red light on Resident Evil because, you know, we've already seen that. Risk, actually, I think could be interesting because it, it sounds like a TV series talking about World War. I mean, there you are. But Zombies in Space, the two things that grabbed me were Edgar Wright 
and salute to the 80s action movies. If Edgar Wright is doing a salute to 80s action movies, I want to see that because every time he does a salute to something, it's awesome. So green light on zombies in space. All right. That's two greens for the zombies. Uh, How about you, Jeff? Do you think the zombies in space will have to fight the Nazis on the dark side of the moon? That would be awesome. Throw in some talking apes and some mutants with telepathic powers. (laughs) And a monkey. A cute monkey. I I don't know. I none of these actually sounded good to me at all, quite frankly. Barry will be played by Jeff. <laughs> I don't know. I mean I mean the only one that I would get be close to would be the Edgar Wright zombies in space, but I'm just I'm so hey. zombie burned out, even even with the twist that he would probably put on it and make it fun, I just and especially risk the series, uh the the only one that I can say is Battleship. To that one you know the hasbro properties <laughs> turned into movies boo risk is our business to red light i'm red across the board on this one i'm sorry none of these interested wow. me at all wow jeff's jeff abstains uh and that leaves uh you barry what you got green bone can suck it say no more there resident evil has nothing more to say to me to interest me you know i've seen the movies i think we're good Unless they have a whole bunch of scenes of doors opening very slowly with a big creak, then I got, you know, I got nothing. Which leaves Risk and Zombies in Space. Now, Risk, like Battleship, will be nothing like the game unless it's about total world war and armies facing up and and, and the front lines converging and the two leaders of each army rolling big dice, which is not going to happen. I'd be kind of fine with that. That, yeah, I, I would be okay with that, but it's not going to happen. Defenders win ties. Oh, my God. I know. Um, and the, one of the commanders says, well, at least I have Australia. Here's, <laughs> <laughs> here's my problem. I got to look out for my department. And if I fund a rival studio, well, that doesn't look good for my department and my bonus at the end of the year. And as far as I know, it's got to be one of those two that's bullshit. So, Zombies in Space seems like the obvious choice, but it's the movie I would... It, movie, it's, it's the show I would want to see. It, it's, it, there's a little too much handed to me on the plate there, so I'm... Put your money <laughs> where your mouth is. Let's go. The part of Andy is being played by Barry, all the meta, the meta gaming here. <laughs> I have no interest in Risk. I have no interest in seeing that loosely tied to a board game bullshit as much as I want to see Candyland the movie. If it was about drugs or if it was a porn, yeah, maybe. But no. So I am going to... Uh, <laughs> nothing gets funded. Wow. Another, wow. Two abstains. No, because no, zombies... No. Nope. Gotta stick by the guns here. Mm-mm. I can double fund something later. Nope. I'm afraid those funds stay with the company, people. Nope, nobody gets my money. All right, so Jeff and Barry abstain, cowards. And the rest, uh, looks like we got two green lights for zombies in space and one for the green bone saga. But I will say, I think that the uh, the alien zombie thing is bullshit. That's and what I, I think. Risk. I think Risk is a bullshit one. Oh, stop with the speculating. 
All right, no, this is the part now that well, I mean, the, the red lights and green lights are out. So uh, now is the time for speculation. Which of these do you think is the uh, the rival company pitch? I'm going to say Resident Evil. That one is. I said Risk. And Barry thinks it's uh, the zombies in space. Yep. I also think it's zombies in space. It just sounds too good to be true that, you know, <laughs> that, that Edgar Wright would tackle something like that. You both like this so much you won't vote for it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I told you, man. I, <laughs> zombie burnout. Zombie burnout. Just I'm done with it for now. Kay, what do you think is the, the fake pitch? Um, I'm not sure. It could, in fact, be uh, be any of those, really. I kind of agree zombies in space is too good to be true. but And I want to say risk, but that sounds preposterous enough to just be true. Yeah, yeah. the way Hasbro has been making all of their board game movies, yeah. Yeah, so so I don't know. I will say, gentlemen, that yes, once again, we have greenlit a fake pitch. Zombies oh, in Space brilliant. is the fake pitch sent to us by our very own Captain Luddite. Called it! Right. Damn it. You get none Captain of my money. Luddite. Captain Blood, I'd write that up as a treatment and send it to Edgar right now. <laughs> yeah, really. Damn it. Uh, that also means that the Greenbone Saga, Resident Evil, and Risk are all being yeah. developed for television. So en- enjoy Why? those coming your way. What the hell are they going to do with Risk? Oh, my God. They're just gonna, it's going to be a war movie, and they're just going to slap Risk on the title. That's what it's going to be, watch. Stupid. And that's yeah. what will sell it. And I'll also say that next week... Captain Luddite himself, Adam Kozlowski, will be joining us in the guest host slot. So if you've missed... (laughs) 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 So I look forward to the voice of Captain Luddite returning for an episode or two. Uh, If you've got something to say or a pitch to send to us, write us comments at uglycouchshow.com. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Quantum Dick K. Backjacked Andy. <laughs> Matt. Wait, I, that came in real low. <laughs> Matt, I, I swear well, to God. It came in just fine. No, came no. It, really it was low. It was really low. Uh, so so just Make give it a step. Matt. Wait, wait for me to finish <laughs> speaking. And then go ahead and say. Maple Leaf Matt. Doctor. Almost. Better Almost. than Maple Leaf yeah, Matt you're, you're, Flard. One more time. One more time. Doctor. Maple better Leaf than Maple Leaf Matt, Matt Flard. Uh, don't yeah, don't do it when 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 Barry starts. <laughs> one more time, one more time, Matt. Give me, give it to me. For the last time, Maple Leaf, Matt. Fuck you, Barry. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Barry, go ahead. Uh, who am I? I don't know anymore. <laughs> I'm not Matt, and that's all I got to say about that. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. I'm going to save Risk for everyone right now. What if we did the Risk movie like we? Like, I'm going to do this. Uh, what if we did the Risk movie like they did uh, Jumanji, where... Two kids play Risk, but some magic shit happens, and then it plays out on the world stage, or they're rolling dice, and, like, Australia's beating New Zealand, or, you know, something like that. So, war games. Yeah, war games, exactly, I was going to say, yeah.
Yeah, could that be done in a funny way? It could be done maybe in a movie. How do you do funny war? It's not, it doesn't work. I don't know, but if you're going to do that pitch, it's going to have to have Matthew Broderick in it. I'm not sold on the parallel to war games. I don't think that that's... Yeah, you're right. War games was about a, a war that almost happened, but they stopped it. Risk, the way Barry was talking about it, it's happening. I don't so know. I don't see war games at all. Listen, if the actors aren't portrayed by Roman numerals, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, gentlemen, much. is everybody ready to continue on? Yes. I yes. object to the uh, name of this this shitty podcast, by the way. I just realized what it said in my uh, <laughs> my Skype. You can go fuck yourself, Torgo. <laughs> <laughs> this, what is geek shock number 571 barry is a tool what what what's wrong barry, <laughs> barry and gutter both tools and what did you do to your camera andy it's like looks like it's facing the ceiling or something oh come on uh, that's just andy i can't see the video i can't see the screen on mine so i just well, i would it, tilt it down it's garbage better oh really <laughs> no. No, it's, it's on it's just it's just pointed at some bullshit Okay, so I've, I've, it's the back of my phone. I can't get the phone to turn around, the screen to turn around the phone. You, you know what button it is, right? I don't. <laughs> it isn't, there isn't a button like that on this particular screen. How, how are you alive? <laughs> <laughs> we, we've, dis- we've discussed this before, uh, Barry. Like, literally, his, uh, his luck uh, gradient is off the charts. Like, like he rolled incredibly on his luck radiant. Because oh yeah, intelligence, wisdom, charisma—all of them are dump stats, except for that magical seventh one called luck. What's what's going on here, and Andy? Why, why are you sending a, a Skype image with a reply? I I'm just trying to get the camera to turn around. I'm pressing buttons. <laughs> <laughs> why are you sending a picture of me eating? <laughs> Yeah, that turned it around, whatever you did. Now we see you, Andy. Okay. Yeah. I don't see me. Okay, but <laughs> can you see me? Count yourself Always. lucky. Uh, I, well, we see nose down of you. No. Is that better? <laughs> that is that. Well, better is, is subjective, but that is definitely you. Much better in that regard. <laughs> I think we've talked out barbecue. Yay. Oh, somebody trying to show off his tasty cake. Delicious lemon tasty cake. How I love you. Love this so much. Wonder if you got double chin. Oh, in this. (laughs) Fuck you. In this individual. (laughs) No wonder you got a double chin. Too many of that shit, huh? Yeah, look at you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Matt. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. It's not like. It doesn't have that empty spot in the pie where it's like like air. It's got it's fucking full of lemon, man. Oh shit, you can't see it. No, it's it's empty right there, man. See, see, it's full. Okay. Fucking delicious. <laughs> All over your keyboard. And he knows he's in the East Coast. Tasty cake, lemon baked pies. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Can't get them out here. You gotta order them special to get shipped to you. Yeah, my uh, my New England treat is the uh, funny bones. I don't know what that is. It is um, it's like a well, it's a Drake cake. Now it's something else, but it's a um, 
it's uh, like a Twinkie, you know, that kind of thing. It's um, mm. chocolate uh, cake with uh, that weird chocolate frosting coating over it, like a like a ho ho. Like uh, ding dong or something. Is, yeah, and inside is uh, whipped peanut butter. I don't know about that. Yeah. That's not for that. Me. Oh, there's nothing like a tasty cake pie. Yeah. Soft, baked just for you. Mm. Oh, yeah, right off the line. They're like, this one's for Barry. Yeah, uh, grab right. that one. McDonald's right. added uh, a couple things that are actually pretty good. They have, they got their blueberry uh, muffins, and uh, they got cinnamon rolls now. I mean, compare on a scale of, like, to Cinnabon, how how they're not as good as Cinnabon, but they're definitely they're better than I expected. The blueberry muffin is the the winner of the bunch, show. Uh, nothing like Tasty Cake. I remember when Deb and I first started dating. I at some point I bought thirty six pies, and I texted her. I'm like, I just bought thirty six pies. I think she knew what she was getting into. Mm-hmm. That was when you and I were at that um, Capriati's, right? Yeah, that's right. You were there. Yeah, because like you were like, how many of these can I buy? Can I buy all of them? And the guy's like, um, let me go look. <laughs> now, did you really buy full pies, or were you talking about what you got in your hand? Yeah, these, these little, these little pies. These thirty, okay. there's, there's thirty six of these things that I bought. Wow. I just bought eighteen, and I've been consuming one a day. It's it's really bad. Master, I mean, right, I'm gonna get a fucking double chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll make uh, it up. You can't even see this, but it's a dumbbell. There's, so there's so there's two dumbbells on the screen right now. Hey yo, <laughs> suck a dick. All right, gentlemen, it is time Points for weekend. Ge- <laughs> Sorry, fucking <laughs> graphics you were going for. Fucking ruining Christmas. <laughs> Starting to hate you guys. <laughs> no, we were we were not fucking with you, man. We were not. It was all real. I don't believe you, bro. This came. <laughs> Oh, look at that. You got, is it, is it Gigawatt? Gigawatt, yeah. Gigawatt? Whatever. Gigawatt? Is it Gigawatt? Just because Chris Lloyd mispronounced it in the movie doesn't mean you get to keep oh. saying it. Chris Lloyd, are you on first name basis with the man now? Oh, motherfucker. <laughs>